You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. Thank you. Good morning. It is uh, absolutely wonderful to be with you. Thank you for having me again. I love coming here. It is like coming home. And thank you also, can I say, to Pastors Martin and Esther and the team for welcoming Beth Ann. I know she is very excited to be part of you uh, in the coming months as she studies at uh, Bible College. And thank you so much. She is, she is my favorite number three. Uh, so if you can look after it, that would be wonderful. But I'm genuinely excited for her, for the opportunity to be part of a great Christian community. And, uh, and it's a, such a joy, so thank you. I'm deeply, deeply grateful. Um, it's my joy this morning to carry on as part of the series that we're doing called Finding Strength. Now, if you've missed any of that series, if you've been away or on holiday, whether abroad or staycationing, uh, it's good to have you back. But if you've missed any of that, and then you can grab all of that on podcast and it's there for you. And I would encourage you to lean into that and to dig into that. For me this morning, I have the privilege of taking on the subject of finding strength in the word. Finding strength in the word. And uh, what a great subject you have given me. And I'm so, so excited to do that. So if you have the Bible with you, come on now. If you have the Bible with you, uh, then why don't you grab it? And turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let me get this self-organized. 2 Timothy chapter 3. And I'm just going to read from two verses. They'll come up on the screen for you. But if you do have a Bible, grab that and do it uh, with me. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. And it says these amazing words. All Scripture is God-breathed. And is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God, man or woman of God, may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, just, just look at the words of the screen. I mean, if we sort of take that remotely seriously, okay, as a follower of Jesus, maybe you're here as a guest, you're not a follower of Jesus. As followers of Jesus, we really believe in the Bible. We believe the Bible is the revealed word of God to us in print. It's an, not just an important book. For us, it is the book that we build our lives upon. And the book itself tells us how important it is. Paul wrote these words and he says, all scripture, not just your favorite bits. <laughs> not just the cool bits. But even Leviticus bit. All scripture is breathed by God. Now that's the only time that phrase, God breathed, some translations have inspired. It's the only time it appears in the whole of the New Testament. It's a really cool idea. And we've got in the God breathedness, we've got the word of God having its origin in God and its life in God and its purpose in God. A magnificent image. All scriptures God breathed and is useful. Useful for what? Teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. Why? So that me and you can be thoroughly equipped. So that we can have every tool we need to go into our world and live for Jesus. 
All right? That's why the Word of God's there. And sometimes when we approach engaging with the Bible, it can all feel a little bit heavy and a little bit sort of mechanical. And this is something I just have to do. But if we approach the Bible with a mentality, this is what I have to do, then we'll miss all of this cool stuff. We'll, we'll miss that, the sense that actually this Word is here for you. It's here for me and you so that we can be thoroughly equipped, so that John Andrews can be taught in the ways of Jesus, so that when John Andrews is going off course, he can be corrected and even rebuked. That has happened, believe it or not, it has. And so that John Andrews can be thoroughly equipped. And, and that's the same for me and you. And actually this amazing book that we have is here for us. Some of you will will know this translation of the Bible, the message. How many people have heard of this or seen this? Or maybe you've got a copy at home. Fantastic. Okay, it's pretty popular. My wife loves the message. In her Bible, she has the sort of NIV version of the Bible and the message side by side. She absolutely loves the message. And this was translated by a man called Eugene Peterson. And Eugene Peterson did, I mean, this was his most amazing work really. He's written lots of great books. He's a phenomenal author. He's now in heaven, unfortunately for us, but an amazing, amazing man of God. And when this was released in 2002, Bono, the lead singer of U2, picked up a copy and was completely blown away by it. In fact, he said this. He said that this is the first time that I've been able to read the Bible and the Bible has spoken to me in my language. Okay, and he was so blown away by it, he did an interview for Rolling Stone magazine. And in that interview, he waxed lyrical about how amazing the message was. Okay, now this is in Rolling Stone magazine, not in Premier Christian magazine, it's, it's Rolling Stone. And one of Eugene Peterson's students came into his class one day with a copy of Rolling Stone magazine and showed it to Professor Peterson. And, and he said, Professor Peterson, Bono! You too is like absolutely stoked at your uh, version of the Bible, the, the message, to which Eugene Peterson said, who's Bono? Okay. <laughs> at the same time, Bono reached out to Peterson for an interview. He wanted to meet with Peterson privately. This was all under the radar. And Bono wanted to meet with Peterson and talk to him about this amazing translation. And Peterson turned him down. Okay, now this became a bit of an urban myth. So this happened around about 2002. And this rumor circulated that Peterson turned Bono down. Okay, now, he did eventually meet with Bono. In fact, you can check all of this out on YouTube. There's a phenomenal program of Bono meeting uh, Eugene Peterson talking about the Psalms. It's really, really stunning. For those involved in worship, it's definitely worth a look. A few years later, in 2007, Peterson was being interviewed at a university campus, and Dean Nelson, who was interviewing him, picked this story up, this urban myth, and he sort of won. Isn't it true, he said, isn't it true that you turned Bono down. Uh, and Peterson said, well, I did. You know, I was busy with deadlines with the message. Uh, and to which Dean, Peterson say, uh, Dean uh, Nelson said these amazing words. He said, you may have been the only person alive who would turn the opportunity to meet Bono down for a deadline. I mean, he said, come on. He says, 
It was Bono. To which Peterson, in the interview, looked straight at him and said, but Dean, it was Isaiah. <laughs> Who would turn Bono down for Isaiah? There are beautiful Christians don't even know who Isaiah is. Okay. Who would turn Bono down full stop? But to turn him down because he was so enraptured with Isaiah that he said no to Bono because he was saying yes to Isaiah. Now that's an amazing story at a whole different level to where I live and you live. But there's a sort of a challenge there. If we're going to find strength in the book, we've got to love it enough to say no to a whole bunch of other stuff. Because you and I live in a world that is screaming for our attention 24-7, noise, 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 noise. And actually, you and I, if we're going to tune into this book, which I love, if we're going to find strength in this book, then we got to take this book seriously. A bit like the song we sang just before I got up. I don't want to miss a single word. Now, they are amazing, amazing words. But if we're going to take those words seriously, then, then we've got to have a really robust approach to the book. We can't sing those words that I, I, I want to get every word because those words are life and I, wanna, I want you to quap my heart and help me to tune in. We can't sing those words and then be casual yeah. with this, right? We've got to take it seriously. And my challenge is that my experience teaches me that many Christians, can I say this carefully, and this is not in any way to condemn anybody in the room, it's just to challenge us and make us think. My experience is that many Christians don't take it seriously. All right, now, now my experience is also borne out by some stats. And I know we don't often like stats, and you can make statistics almost say anything you wanna say. But in two recent surveys, one commissioned by the Church of England, which was released in 2014, they interviewed 8,150 people in this particular survey about spirituality, church, the Bible, etc., etc. Of the 8,150 people who responded, 56% classified themselves as followers of Jesus. So either they were Anglican or they classed themselves as active Christians or they classed themselves as followers of Jesus. So of the 8,150 who responded, 56% put themselves in the bracket of Jesus' follower. You with me? And when they were asked the question, um, do you, or how often do you, read or listen to the Bible, that, that percentage of people who said they were active followers of Jesus, 14% of them said, that they would listen or read the Bible about once per week. The shocking statistic was that 55% of the Jesus followers said they never read the Bible. Now, someone will say, well, that's not CLM. We, that's not our stat. 
that wouldn't be us. And I, I, I would probably say that would be true because I think if you're part of a strong Bible-centric church that uses the pulpit strongly and advocates the Word of God, you're more likely to build a Bible-orientated community that really respects the Bible. And I know you work hard on that, but let's just work with that stat. Imagine if that was true here. Imagine if 55% of us, of CLM, all the services online and the two this morning, 55% of us had never read the Bible or weren't engaging with the Bible. In 2019, the Bible Society released a report where they did a survey amongst 18 to 35-year-olds. Now, that's the millennial group. In fact, they wanted to interview what they called digital millennials. So if you're 18 to 35 in this room or online, and you own one piece of sort of uh, digital kit, a smartphone or a tablet, etc., and you're on social media at least once a week, then you would be in this category of digital millennial, okay? 18 to 35s. And they wanted to know what the attitude to Jesus followers in that group would be in the Bible, considering the fact that we've got almost unlimited resource online when it comes to the Bible, okay? I mean, we're living in the most amazing, amazing time in history uh, for that. Now, within that group, 9% of practicing Christians said they read the Bible every day. Woohoo! come on. 13% said a few times a week. 13% said every week. And 17% said they read it a few times a year, meaning that 51% of practicing Christians in the millennial group that were interviewed read the Bible less than once per month. Now, that could be just them and not the 18 to 35-year-olds here, okay? But if those surveys are representative and all the surveys coming out are putting non-engagement with the Bible in the sort of 50% plus category, for Jesus followers. We're not talking about Joe and Josephine out there who can't spell Jesus. We're talking about Jesus followers. Those stats are sort of holding. When I used to lecture in Bible college, I would teach Luke and Acts to the first years. A lovely introductory course. And every single year, I did a spot survey. And it wasn't scientific. It was just anecdotal. It was to give me a feel for the class. My last class I taught a few years ago had 34 students in it. Now, this is in Bible college. And I said, okay, you must be honest. Just tell me the truth. How many people in the room have read all 66 books of the Bible at some point? Of the 34 students, six said, we've read all 66. Okay, six out of 34 in Bible college. Then I said, how many people have read the New Testament part of the Bible? A further nine on top of that six said, we've read the New Testament. That's the 27 books of the New Testament. So here's what it meant to me as I stood up to teach the gospel of Luke. Half my class in Bible college hadn't read the gospel of Luke. Wow. I, you go, that's such shocking. Actually, actually, it, it was a sort of a pattern I was noticing. Bible literacy, Bible engagement, Bible love, Bible vibrancy. I was seeing a dip over many, many years. And I think that's born out. Now, I'm not saying any of that to criticize anybody or condemn anybody or judge anybody. I'm sort of saying that to put that into context to Eugene Peterson. 
He turned down Bono for Isaiah. And actually, we face a challenge today as followers of Jesus like never before to engage with the Bible. And actually, we've got lots of voices speaking to us all over the place, and we have got to find a way to engage with this book because this book is our primary guidance in bringing us God's revelation, God's truth, and God's life to us. Whatever other forms it comes in, through a preacher like me, through a podcast, through a, a feeling that you have when you are engaging in worship, through, even through the worship team, whatever conduit it comes from, it's ultimately the Word of God that is our source of strength. So you and I have got to learn to engage with this. I love what Proverbs says. It says, every word of God is flawless. He is a shield to all who take refuge in him. Now, me standing up here saying, you've got to read the Bible isn't going to help you. Okay, you know that as a follower of Jesus, the Bible's important. And you know it's important to this church. And you sort of know without really me telling you that this is important to your faith. So me simply standing up and telling you, you've got to do it, isn't necessarily going to help you to do it. Well, so what's important is we have a strong reason to read the Bible. In other words, it's such a strong reason, we come to the conclusion, I cannot not read it. Are you with me? In other words, it becomes so important to us that it's like, it's like eating food every day. It's like having a shower every day, hopefully. It's like, it's like brushing our teeth every day. It's something we just do because we know we cannot do Jesus' life without it. Now, that's the bottom line. Once that becomes a reality to me and you, then we're more likely to sort of take up the challenge of picking up this book, as big and as scary as it is, and making it part of our everyday experience. Does that make sense to you? So here's four reasons why we should pick up the book. Number one, it creates faith. Where does faith come from? Faith comes from hearing the message... And the message is heard through the word of Christ. So where does faith come? Faith doesn't come from you. Faith comes from the word of God. It's actually God's word in whatever form it comes to us, whether read or heard or engaged in, it's God's word that creates faith. I don't faith, faith. I can't manufacture spiritual faith. Now, there's a sense in which every human in this room has natural faith, but that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about, about spiritual faith that allows me to engage in a living relationship with Jesus. That faith, the Bible tells me, can only come to me when I hear God's Word. Now, if that's true, or even half true, then here's what it means. If I don't engage with His Word, reading, listening, uh, engaging with a Christian community that celebrates the Word of God, if I'm not engaging with it, I am literally cutting off my own faith. So all these songs, beautiful songs we sang this morning, are based on the Word of God, which creates faith. It's not just fridge magnet positive psychology that we're dealing with. 
This is the truth of God's word. Now, once that became a reality to me as a young Christian, and I was graced by the fact, I, I got this idea really quickly in my journey as a Christian. I realized, hold on a minute. If faith comes by the word of God, whatever form the word of God comes in, then I've got to make sure I'm getting the word of God into my life, like if possible, every day. It just made sense to me. And so why is the word of God important? Because it creates faith. Secondly, it's important because it sharpens our focus. Every single day, I pick up the Bible, not this one. This is my sort of old preaching Bible. But I have a devotional Bible I use at home. It's a wide margin Bible. It's got scribbles all over it and marks all over it. Some of you who follow me on Instagram, you'll see my pictures have been put in on them, my John Reflections uh, this month. And I love that Bible. And every single day, I pick up the Bible, believe it or not, I kiss it, and I pray this prayer from the Psalms. Open my eyes, O Lord, that I may see wonderful things in your law. Now, why is that important? Because, because this book is not just an intellectual book. This book is a spiritual book. So it's not just me accumulating knowledge. If I just want to accumulate knowledge, I can go to Google for that. This is a book where I need insight, revelation. I need to be able to see with not just physical eyes, but spiritual eyes into the truth of that. And therefore, I invite the Holy Spirit to open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in his law. So every day, there's sort of three elements to my prayer as I prepare for the Word of God. I pray that the eyes, my eyes will be open, that I will see wonderful things of the law. My mind will be open to truly understand, not just intellectually, but understand in a life-giving way what I'm reading, and that my heart will be open so that I will know Jesus more as a result of the Bible experience I'm about to have. I'm not just picking up the book to increase my knowledge I'm trying to pick up the book to increase life you with me and so the Word of God is important because it creates faith it sharpens our focus thirdly it builds fortitude look at these amazing words from the Psalms again Psalm 119 my soul faints with longing for your salvation but I have put my hope in your word. Now, that's what we've been singing this morning. You sang that in a different form of words, but we sang that. We said we're putting our hope in your word. Now, if that is true, then we've got to get his word to our hearts. We cannot put hope in something that we do not know. And so, so it's not enough to rely on Pastor Esther or, or Martin as they bring something inspirational or, or, or the worship team as they lead us. As brilliant as that is, and we thank God for that, but somehow I, I've got to realize that, that this book is the very means of finding strength and fortitude in a weird, wonderful, and ever-changing world in which I live. Psalm 119 says, If your law had not been my delight... I would have perished in my affliction. Can I just be really vulnerable to you? My, my youngest daughter is sitting on the front row and she knows the journey we've made. If it wasn't for this, I would not be here. 
Now, I had great friends. Friends aren't enough. Joe and Josephine out there have mates. Are you with me? They have a community down the pub. They have people who support them. That's not enough, right? Having a great experience is not enough. What, what I needed was to be rooted in what God said. And being rooted in what he said, literally, not just big picture, I become a Christian, but literally save my life. I am here because of his word. And if I showed you my devotional Bible, you'll see scribbles in the margin. You'll see dates in the margin. You'll see exclamation marks in the margin where God spoke. Spoke. Spoke to me. No atmosphere. No worship band to help me. No goose pimples. Just spoke through his word. I trained my mind to go, Lord, I need your word. Without your word, I am dead in the water. I need your word. And leaned into that word. And in moments when I felt nothing, I heard something. Come on. And I would not be here if it wasn't for that book. That's the truth. That's my conclusion, believe it or not. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. And then lastly, the word of God's important because it produces fruit in us. Here's what the psalmist said, one of my favorite psalms. I recite this every day. We'll finish with it today. Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect. Why? It revives the soul. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. I want to tell you that spiritual fruit comes out of spiritual truth. Come on, are you with me? We cannot have spiritual fruit without engaging in spiritual truth. And if we want our soul revived, if, if we want to be men and women that experience the supernatural revival of the soul, then one of the things we've got to try and train ourselves in is regularly and consistently listening, engaging with this book. Because it has the power to revive you. It has the power to renew you. It has the power to guide you. It has the power to give you everything you need so that the man and woman of God can be thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's why it's important to kind of say, without getting too spooky on this, that's why the devil will do everything in the context of society in the context of your world, to distract you from this book. He doesn't care what you read, as long as you don't read that. He doesn't care what you listen to, as long as you don't listen to that. He doesn't care who you are connecting with, as long as you are not connecting to men and women of God who are building their lives on the truth of the Word of God. Fill your life with whatever you want, as long as you stay away from that. Come on. So it's important for us. Why? Because the Word of God creates faith. It sharpens our focus. It builds fortitude. And it produces fruit. So here's some practical tips in terms of the Word of God I want to encourage you with as we bring this to a close. Now, every tip I'm going to give you, I do. So I'm not selling you something 
that I don't personally engage with, all right? Um, 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 this is stuff that I have worked through in my life. So I've been a Christian since I was eight years old. I was filled with the Spirit at 12, called by God into ministry in my mid-teens, and I've been in full-time Christian ministry since 1987, all right? And I still have to intentionally and deliberately engage with this book. Can't rely on yesterday. I've got to engage even today. So what I'm about to tell you, I've worked it through over 30 plus years of serious ministry context. Is that okay? Yeah. I'm not saying that to sort of bum myself up. I'm saying that to put context in some of these statements because some of the stuff I'm going to say is really simple, but it works. Here's the first practical tip. Create a time and a space. Now here's the thing. If you do not create a time and space for the Word of God, it won't happen. Guarantee it. Guarantee it. If you don't create a time and a space, it won't happen. In my personal behavior, this is, what, this is my view, I make a date with the Word of God. <clears throat> okay, again, I have a member of my family sitting on the front row, and she will tell you my rhythms and routines that I am rarely prepared to compromise on because this book is more important than Bono. Right? Now, it's not because I'm super spiritual. It's just because I've understood Bono, as brilliant as he is, isn't going to save my life. It's this book is going to do it. And if I get distracted with the Bono stuff of this world, please forgive me for using that illustration, but you think you know what I mean, then I'm not going to make it. So, so I make a date and a place. I've actually created a little space in my world where I can go specifically for the Bible. Now, you may not be able to do that because of the world you're in, but if you can do that, I'm telling you, it'll make a difference. Make a time. Now, make it a time that you can make and create a space. Really worthwhile. It really does work. Secondly, prepare your heart. Don't just pick the book up and start reading because it's not a book. This is breathed by God. Now, this is really, really important to me. When I open the pages, here's, what, here's where I start. That this contains the breath of God. And when you see the breath of God at work in the Bible, everywhere the breath of God goes, life happens. Everywhere. The first human in Genesis. The dry bones in Ezekiel. Wherever the breath of God goes, life springs from it. So, so I've tried to discipline myself. Don't just pick up this book like I'm picking up a novel. But pick up the book and actually go, Lord, your breath is in this. So here's what I'm going to try and do. I'm going to prepare my heart to receive some breath. I'm going to open up my mouth to receive your breath. I'm going to put my mind in a disposition to help me receive that breath. How I am as I read the Bible influences what I receive. So if I'm flustered and distracted, it's going to affect how I receive. If I am preparing my heart and settling my heart, it influences how I receive. Come on, are you with me? Does that make sense to you? So prepare your heart. Don't rush this thing. Prepare your heart. Take five minutes. Some of the ancient rabbis would stand in the presence of God for an hour in silence before they opened the text. 
Now, you don't have to do that. But remember, this is not just a book. This is the only book you own that has the breath of Almighty God in it. And if you give it respect, it will speak. Come on, are you with me? Still there? Number three, turn off the noise. Turn off the noise. We live in the noisiest generation in the history of the world. Now, I love the technology. I use the technology. I've got the technology. But if the technology is distracting you from the book, then it may be you have to go old-fashioned. And you may have to buy one of these, like with real pages in it. Because some of you have your Bible on your phone, but you can't resist the pop-ups, the buzzes, the pings, and the vibrations. And you get distracted. And there you are in the middle of reading about Jesus, but a really interesting message has just popped up on TikTok. Right? Or you've been WhatsApped by a friend, and you're distracted. Now imagine if Jesus was sitting with you in your room, and your phone buzzed. Would you answer it? If you would, you really need to be ministered to right now. You need to come out the front and let me hit you with the... No, I'm, uh, let me minister to you the, the power of the Lord. Uh, listen, when I'm with friends over lunch, my phone's in my pocket because they are my focus. I never have the phone on the table. I don't want to be disturbed because I'm with you. We're not even allowed phones at our dining room at home because you're with me. Here, I'm here. Not on Instagram, I'm here. Now you've got to turn off the noise. Find a quiet place and turn it off. And for some of us, it may mean, can I say parents in the room, listen, if you've got young children and you read your Bible on your phone, can I just encourage you make the switch? Because here's what happens. Your kids think you're on the phone. So when they're playing, they think you're on the phone and you're on the Bible. So actually, if you have a copy of the Bible out, then you've trained them. Actually, my dad's not just on the phone messing around on whatever. He's in the Bible. Just a thought. Feel free to reject that if you want to. But it's a helpful one as we're doing. Number four, have a Bible reading plan. Don't leave the Bible to spontaneous. Don't leave the Bible to your favorite bits. Make a plan. Now, there are millions of plans out there on the internet. You've got wonderful reading plans on version. I mean, there's a whole stack of amazing stuff out there. I've designed my own reading plan. And in that, I do a little bit of the New Testament. I do always the Gospels. I read Jesus. I'm amazed at how many Christians don't read Jesus. And I want to urge you, keep rotating the Gospels. Well, I've read Matthew before. Read it again. Read it again. I, I, I was meditating on John's gospel this morning. And some of you will know because you follow me. And this incredible truth. In the world you will have trouble. But don't be afraid. Take courage. I have overcome the world. It's a word right now to us. Read that this morning. Have a plan. Now, you can be spontaneous. But spontaneous is easier when you have a plan. You can go spontaneous. Go to your favorite bits. But I woke up this morning knowing which bit of the Bible I was going to read today. Even if it's Leviticus, I'm going to read it. Even if it kills me, I'll read it. Come on. Are you with me? So when I don't feel spontaneous, intentionality kicks in. Now let me say this. I'm, I'm, I'm nearly there. 
People say to me, when I talk about a Bible reading plan, they say this, that sounds really religious. I've heard this nonsense from people. Let me tell you, listen, I got in the shower this morning. I get in the shower every day. I didn't think as a student in the shower this morning, I need to change my routine. This is a bit religious. <laughs> when I brushed my teeth, I didn't think, I'm just very religious brushing my teeth every day. When I shaved last night, we talk nonsense when it comes to this. Reading your Bible, having a reading plan is not religiosity. Now, it can become stale. Of course it can. But it's wisdom. I want good oral health, so I brush my teeth. I want to be clean so that you want to embrace me if we could embrace. So I wash. It's not religious, that's wisdom. Get over your religiousness about the Bible reading plan. It's just an excuse for you not to do it. Come on, make a plan, make a plan. Number five, uh, quickly, read slowly and out loud. Read slowly and out loud. It's not a race. The Bible is not a race. Now, if you're trying to read the Bible in a year, cool. But listen, if you're reading the Bible so fast, you've forgotten what you read by the end of the reading, it's too fast. It's not the point. The point is not a race. The point is truth. I am reading the Bible slower than I've ever read it. And you know what I do every day? I read it out loud. I don't just read the words. I read them out loud so my ears hear them. And when you read out loud, it literally slows you down. Now you say, John, I can't read very well. Then you can get versions of the Bible from you version where you can listen to the Bible. And if you struggle to read, I would encourage you to listen and follow the words in the text at the same time. Now listen, if you're struggling to read because you've had some challenges educationally, hear the word of the Lord from me. Learn to read. If you can't read, you're always at the mercy of the person who can. And learning to read the Bible for yourself, it's life-giving. It's life-giving. People gave their lives for you to have that Bible. And it's transformational. So if you struggle to read for one reason or another, listen to it, but follow the words. It'll help you read better. And read slowly. You with me? Number six, the band want to join me? They're going to be ready to just finish with this. Number six, record your thoughts. Record key thoughts. If, if you read something and it speaks to you, write it down. Write it down. Now, I write it in the margin of my Bible. Some people have journals. My daughter is a, a massive note taker and scribbler, and her Bible is like a work of art, to be quite honest with you. It's quite magnificent. Uh, mine's, mine's, I, I write stuff down. Over COVID, I kept a COVID journal. Amazing. What, and, and writing down is good because it helps me to record and remember because we forget. And it's amazing in six months' time, you look back at that journey and go, wow. I was reading my Bible this week and, and a date popped up on the side of my Bible, my margin. And it's going, my goodness, look what the Lord did then. And I remember. Record key thoughts. And lastly, number seven, rehearse what you've learned. Speak it out. Coming down in the car this morning, had the most wonderful experience with my daughter, talking about the Word of God. And it's a pretty cool moment. It's a really cool moment as a parent that your conversation is around the Bible. And not just me being clever to her, but her speaking to me. 
And she reflected with me on the fact that in a moment, the Lord spoke to her out of Isaiah that he is faithful and, and how this became such a revelation of life to her in the midst of this. And as she spoke it out over her life, it has had transformation. Why? Because she's rehearsed. That's what Mark's helping us to do in worship. We're rehearsing. We're rehearsing the word of God. We're rehearsing truth. We're reminding ourselves of what he said and who he is and what he's done. Because when we rehearse, that word rotates in us turns over in us, lives in us, transforms us. My time's gone. Why don't you stand with me? Let me read you these words. And as I read these words and recite these words to you, these are words that I recite every day. Then I want you to just open up your heart, open up your hands. Some of the stuff I've said has made total sense to you. Some of you are thinking, John, I know this rocks for you. It's not rocking for me. But listen, whatever you've heard, whatever you've got, the word of the Lord is vital. It's vital. Peterson turned down Bono for Isaiah. <laughs> Lord, that our hearts would be so hungry for you that we would turn off the noise, that we would turn down the invitations and we would tune in to you. Listen to these amazing words. Close your eyes as I read and receive. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinances of the Lord are sure. They are all together righteous. They are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned, and in keeping them, there is great reward. The psalmist concludes in Psalm 19, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for breathing this word. Thank you for giving us this word. Thank you that the word has come to us in such an amazing written form that we can carry it in our phones. We can have it in our pockets. It sits in our homes. We thank you for it. But Lord, we want this word to live in our hearts. We want it to go beyond information to revelation. We want it to go beyond stuff we can recite to stuff we live. And so, Lord, we invite you to help us. Will you create a love in each of us for your word? We don't just want to do it because we have to. We want to do it because we want to. And so, Holy Spirit, for those online, for those in this room, give us a love for your word. That your word will live in us. Your word will live through us. 
and that the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart will delight you and please you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen.